This is why we love racing in all its forms. That's King of Swing fighting though. He's a superstar, a champion pacer. Untapped in front, untapped holding on. What a win. Untapped with the Aracen Sandler Cup. And it's very elegant. Ten group bumps. And now the greatest of them all, the Melbourne Cup. For the next hour, RSN is cracking the codes. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, Cracking the Codes. We've got plenty to get through this morning, all different sorts of subjects, but I'm looking forward to the show, buoyed by uh, the guests that we've got ahead of us this morning. Matthew Stewart, uh, firstly, good morning to you. Daniel. You're looking well, and you're actually a little bit too happy for my liking this morning, Simone. Mm. Um, Do you agree? I agree. He's very buoyant. I'm allowed to be buoyant. Speaking of boys and buoyancy, there's a kid in the studio. Who dragged this kid in the studio? Is he your nephew or something, Dan? Uh, No, but I tell you what I'm finding out very quickly. He's a very smart unit. Um, Matt is an intern working at uh, RSN. Uh, Uh, Matt Whitfield uh, uh, from Kilmore. From Kilmore. You've got your own radio show in Kilmore as well? Yep. Monthly on OKRFM. 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 He's got a bad voice for it either. Anyway, he's got a sort of deep voice for a kid. Yeah, he has, yeah. actually. Got a bit happening there. <laughs> <laughs> and, nice, uh, nice tone for radio. And his family, I know the family, they have a thing. They tell us about this. So he's a radio guru. He's a bit of a smart kid. We know that. So, and he's done, done his week here. So they've got a thing called... Whitstock. Whitstock. Tell us about it's, the evolution of Whitstock. So pretty much my well, my dad, he loves partying. He loves, he loves music, rock and roll, whatever. And my mum, we, we like um, almost like catering. If that makes any sense, but um, like putting on a show for people. So we bought, or well, my parents bought out at Sunday Creek, and it's got it's just enough. We got a perfect shed. My dad loves his shed, so he decided let's put on a gig. So it's it's Whitstock. We call it like Woodstock, but Whitstock, obviously. And we have a band that come plays in there. There's a couple of sets and. People just pretty much party for all our family, friends, and pretty much for whoever wants to come along. And it reminds me of the Men in Gort Cup, which started with a little impromptu horse race and turned into a crowd of about 5,000 down at Jock MacArthur's place. How small did it start and how big has Whitstock become? Um, it started pretty big. It probably started triple figures and then has kind of stayed along there. But definitely, because we had it for the first time after COVID this year, and that was only, it was probably below, it's probably about 80 people that came. Um, which obviously because COVID stints that type of stuff, but it just it grew and grew, but then obviously had to die back down. Well, it's reminded me of the doco on Netflix that I've just watched, Trainwreck. Oh, Don't I told let your you to watch that. No. head to Trainwreck. Oh. It was a train wreck. Oh, that was an understatement, oh, honestly. Few, <laughs> few of my mates have been to Woodstock. It's not unlike the one that you oh, watched. Oh, goodness me. And, and you've been doing, before we talk about our guests, and uh, Simone, I know you've received some interesting correspondence this week. You've been doing work experience with us this week? What I have, have been. What have, other than hanging with me, what have been the highs? Um, well, I've been looking at all your systems. <laughs> Obviously, I've, I've, it's so different seeing commercial radio, and it's really just a great experience for me because it's something that I'd, a path that I'd love to go down, seeing how everything works, producing with um, Scott Cooney. That's great. He's a great person, great person to learn, out, learn yep. off of. And, um, yes, I've been learning how, to, how the behind-the-scenes stuff runs. All right, and you've phone calls on your journey. And he's on his radio people. journey as well, so mm. who knows? Oh, yeah. it's great to have that interest early on, and I just get the feeling if you, I'd be more surprised if you didn't follow that path uh, than if you did, because it seems like you're really focused. And if you're able to get out of here and still as passionate about radio after working with Matt Stewart for a week, <laughs> you're going to go a long way. This is the <laughs> ultimate test. It's like that thing where someone has to run along, and then everyone whacks him, and they see if they come out the other side. <laughs> Simone, Simone, what's been happening in your world? Well, I know I've mentioned before, I adopted a greyhound of ours out to an older man earlier this year and the dog's name is Bomber and he changed it to Troy and that's absolutely fine and he is besotted with this dog Troy and he sends me emails regularly and they're hysterical and I got one, he sends me photos of the dog on the couch and I think it's not the same photo every time but it's the same picture, (laughs) the dog laying in the same spot. But I got an email during the week and the title of the email was Cremated Sausages and the email went on that I always cook Troy sausages as they keep longer and easy to cut into small pieces, put them in barbecue on high to cook faster. That was 6pm. We go in to watch the news. So him and the dog do everything together. What does the dog think of Ukraine? (laughs) (laughs) I must ask him next time. At 4.20, I woke and thought, 
sausages. Looked in fridge where they go when cooked. No sausages there. Went to barbecue. Was still burning on high. I was clever and turned barbecue off. Ten hours and ten minutes was a little too long to cook them. Is this what happens when you get to 75 years? I hope not. Did... And then, <laughs> then I get a follow-up one. Wait, this is the title of the email. Wait on my premium scales. Have lost the figures but was less than one-tenth of original weight into rubbish. Don't want to poison Troy, but he sends me these photos <laughs> of these black sausages. And it's just delightful. I really, I really love the joy that this dog is bringing to him and that he wants to share it in a really quirky way. Yeah, um, that's gorgeous. I should be worried about... Um, the dog getting poisoned. It sounds like the house is going to burn down beforehand. And like- Simone's just showed me a photo of the t- the sausages after ten and a half hours are uh, unmonitored on the barbecue outside. Oh, that's beautiful that he's. It's, you've- it's really lovely. I I do enjoy and I appreciate that you know he keeps in touch like that too. So now Dan, it's yes. the Rupert Clark Stakes oh, yes, Day, it is. and uh, we got a little replay from the vault. But uh, just let's just set the scene of who we've got coming up on today's show. Okay, on today's show we're going to have a chat with Tony Rabber from the Mail Hugger. It's a charity that we've pretty much adopted, adopted on, on Cracking the Codes uh, for mental health, particularly of men and, and professional men. Um, so we'll chat with Tony, get an update for the Talktober promotion. Yep. Uh, but also Father, father Brian Glasheen. Uh, we always have a bit of a laugh with, with the father, but you always feel better knowing that you've got you know, a man of God on your side when you're talking about horse racing. And you've got a particular connection with a father, Glash. It's almost like a boxing match, and the rounds are split up by a year or two apart, but it goes back a long way. It does. Um, yeah, a lot of debates over the years about harness races, about Poppy versus Gamelite, who was best. There was a protest in the True Memorial, and he was the parish priest in Bacchus Marsh, baptised my children with a bribe of two bottles of Jurif from Other Glen. Um, so, yeah, very close mate of Dad, mainly, but also the rest of us kids and the grandkids and all that. So he's a very special person in our lives and always great to have a chat to uh, the Glash. Yeah, and you've got a very special guest as well. We have Sharon Chapman, um, Fast Track Photography. Legend. She captures the most amazing and beautiful photos of horses on the racetracks and there's something very unique about her photos. She's um, not always just capturing them across the finishing line. She's um, getting these unique photos from many different angles that um, we could only hope that we would capture something a tenth as good on our phones. But Sharon's going to be joining us to talk about her Birdsville experience. Gamelite Free For All tonight. Top, top horses at Melton. Group One Day, Rupert Clark Cup. It's had a lot of names over the year. Used to be on a public holiday Thursday, and it was when this horse won it. Grancho Rulers three links in front, down to the 200. My Arctic Wolf second, then Empazera, Cameronic Melody, Hidden Groucho. Rancho Rulers got a huge break with 150 left to go, and Rancho Ruler with Harry White's going to win the Marlborough Cup. Rancho Ruler by three links. My Arctic Wolf second, our Westminster Renon Ball for third. Loving their racing, pacing, and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Maliki, and Simone Fisher. Cracking the codes. We are cracking the codes this Saturday morning and um, we've got a guest coming up that we've had on the show before, a very interesting guest who found herself in a, a situation that is at, uh, an unknown situation that has propelled her career all the way from Warrnambool taking that iconic photo of Banner Strand jumping a fence that wasn't a fence in the race and it's taken her all across the world and the country and um, she was recently at Birdsville. So it's great to have Sharon Chapman back on cracking the codes. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning. Thank you for having me on the show again. Oh, it's wonderful. I've been following your photos on Twitter and, gee, you've come up with some beautiful photos at Birdsville. Um, such dramatic landscape, a lot different from what you see down at Warrnambool during the May Carnival with all the greenery and the crowds and the grandstand there. Birdsville certainly worlds apart. But um, tell us what the experience is like. It, it looked amazing. Well, I think Birdsville, um, it's such an adventure to, to get there. It took us uh, four days. Uh, we did it a little bit differently this year. We took a uh, motorhome and uh, flat-toed a Suzuki Vitara. So um, it was a little bit different. We had our two uh, Jack Russell puppies in tow. So, you know, camping out with, um, you know, they call it the commons, I think, out there where we camped, was a, was a great and different experience. But I think that's part of the whole Birdsville experience is it's the, the journey and the adventure. Uh, getting there, and then obviously, um, you know, everything from that point on is, is, you know, you've got those beautiful colours of the outback. The wildflowers are out this year, so there's always a, a little bit different, you know, element to birds for every year, which is great. 
That's what I was going to ask you about. Is the is the it's it's the backdrop drop and the canvas as much as the horse. It's it's the backdrop to the horses that I think is what inspires you, and I'm probably sure that's what's dragged you into the into the desert, as you say, the wildflowers and the the red earth and all that sort of thing. Is is that the number one thing? Because I know you're, as Simone said, with Bannerstrand, and you become known as a racing photographer. But to me, it's more about the backdrop than the horse that seems to attract me. Is that what attracts you as well? Oh, absolutely. I think, um, you know, there's something special about horses racing, you know, on the dirt and you've got all that dust trail and it's just every year you don't really know what you're going to get because of the weather conditions maybe even leading up to it. And this year we had a lot of rain on the Thursday, so originally they were going to race Friday and Saturday. Uh, Thursday the rain came, I think they got about 25 mil, but out in the desert, that can, you know, cause havoc to, havoc to a dry dirt track. So, uh, interestingly, on the Saturday, two hours after the races were supposed to start, they still had a grader out on the track, which was... Uh, the crowd were cheering, you know, grader versus grader. I could see who would, uh, who would win that battle. But, um, look, it's just another element of virtue. You just never know what, what's going to happen. I suppose it's a bit like an car, a clay court tennis, where if you've got a grader and you drag it, you're a better chance of getting it prepped up enough uh, to, to make it work. So those graders would be uh, really important, wouldn't they? Particularly with that sort of rain you you, uh, you had talked about. The track would have ended up being the, the driest part of the, the whole area, wouldn't it, after about 24 hours? Oh, absolutely. So what they do, um, they build a trench um, along the side of the racetrack to let the water drain. And then they basically just slice the top because it's just mud um, on the top. So they basically slice the whole top layer of the track and then try and just get everything level around the whole track. So it's quite interesting to watch, but uh, I think a few people maybe that hadn't been to Birdsville before that haven't seen that happening were, hang on a minute, aren't the races supposed to be on now and there's a grader on the track? But it's incredible how the whole town and the community come together to just make it happen and no one really whinges and it just, you know, the races went ahead and everyone had a great day. Sharon, why are you such a good photographer? Like, I often think thought this with Colleen Petch and Michael Dodge and all the ones I worked with over the years. It's this sort of innate artistry and my mum was a really good painter, my brother's a really good painter and I can't use crayons, you know, like, <laughs> so there's got to be something innate or instinctive and, you know, the, the angles of the photos that Simone was talking about how the hell do you always end up on the right angle with the right sun over the horse at the right angle and all those sorts of things? Is it kind of preparation or is it just something you can't even explain? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for the lovely compliment. Um, look, I think that part of it comes down to being really passionate about what you do. And I think I always say to people, you've got to be prepared to take a risk and you've got to be completely okay with that risk not coming off and failing and not getting either the shot you wanted or anything. And you've got to be okay with that to to then say, okay, well, that didn't work, but maybe let's try this. So I think that um, risk-taking gives you, you know, when you, when you do, you know, get something really good, it inspires you to keep, you know, trying to stand in a different place. And then I guess from that um, experience comes where you just, you sort of know, okay, well, if I stand down the back stretch in this, I know the sun's behind me, and if I get low, I'm pretty sure, you know, of what I'm going to get. But So I you chuck photos out that we'd keep, I reckon. Like, you know, <laughs> Simone and I go, oh, my no. God, you, oh, look at this photo I've just taken. It's a masterpiece. And Sharon go, nah, nah, it nah. doesn't make the cut. No, I've seen some the of cut. the photos you keep. Now, enough from uh, you. <laughs> it's, it's hard because I guess you do... The more riskier you go, the, the more critical probably you become as well. But I think that makes you better. Um, but like I said, you know, you, you then do sort of um, get to understand the light better and you have a vision of what you're looking for. And then you sort of have the tools, I guess, and the experience to know how to potentially, you know, pull that image off. Um, but look, you've got to be prepared to, to not get it right too and... And that's okay because it's going to make you better. Sharon, how hard is it to 
find that point of difference in photos? I mean, you've taken thousands and thousands of photos and when you think you've got a racetrack and you've got horses, does there come a point where you think, I can't find anything different or is it just nature and like the the landscape like we spoke about before that just lends itself to having so many opportunities that you never thought would be there? Uh, Look, I think that's the beauty of birds. I always say to people, just don't stay around the finish line. So, you know, that's the group one days where you sort of get forced, I guess, in a way um, to, you know, because the story is all about, you know, the winner really on those really big race days. Whereas birds for, I mean, I went to the starting gate a couple of times because there was a two-horse race and I thought, well, there's no point doing that from the finish because they could be miles apart and then it doesn't really tell the story. So the story was, okay, we've got a two-horse race. There's nothing we can do about that, but let's try and capture it in a way that, you know, tells a story. And that comes down to, you know, fuel costs, making it harder for trainers to get there this year and all sorts of things. But let's try and show that, okay, well, this was a two-horse race. So for me, you know, I had to go to the start and sort of get that. So I think it's trying to tell a little bit of a story as best you can and it was harder this year because there were smaller fields you didn't have massive dust trials or horse you know leaving you know getting caught in the dust trail at the back um that you could hardly even see because it just you know i guess with the track being graded as well you didn't have that hey it must be a labour of love. I remember you had a food caravan at the Alexander or Mansfield picnics uh, to, to try and supplement your passion. Uh, and yep. I know that the industry curtailed a bit of outside photographer action and all this accreditation and so on a few years ago. What I mean, you're one of the best I've ever seen, but how, Luke, how, can you make a quit out of it? Um, once again, I'm, I'm very humbled by these lovely comments. Thank you. Um, you deserve well, them, honestly. Her photos are amazing you. for anyone that hasn't seen. And I'm super nice. You are. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I think you definitely can, but I think you've always got to, you know, try and have a bit of a point of difference if you can. Um, and that's where I think the passion for it comes in as well. I'd like to think that when you're really passionate about something, that you do go the extra mile and, and maybe, you know, try some different things and, um, really care about the end result, like for the client too. And if, if you know, a client doesn't like something, be fully prepared to, to say, okay, well, how can we make this better? How can we fix this? And be, you know, always accommodating. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, you, you definitely can, but I think you've got to diversify and, and move with the times. I've added, obviously, video um, to my collection now, you know, what I do particularly with sales videos. Obviously, with COVID, a lot more people were relying on horses being sold online. Um, I'd already been sort of doing video a little bit. And then I went and got my drone license, so I put myself through, you know, Drone Academy or whatever we want to call it. <laughs> got my cats a license. Good morning, rolling into that. That sounds, sounds like a like bit fun. of fun, doesn't it? Uh... <laughs> really fun, yeah. Yeah, it was really fun. But I think you've got to keep with the times and keep... Um, diversifying, keeping up with the modern technology and obviously drones are such a big part of it now. And I think then if you can go to a client and say, well, I can photograph, you know, your horses from maybe a, you know, artistic way as as also a commercial way, but then I can also give you some aerial photos and videos and I can also give you some, you know, sales video content, then you become a bit of a, a whole package that you can offer to people. So you've taken many, many, many beautiful photos, but do you find that it almost gets not bland, but just kind of the same old thing? How do you keep improving? Uh, well, I think some, something like going to virtual every year, I always say to um, you know other photographers I know and when they go, why do you drive 4,000 kilometres for you know, a two, day, two days of racing? But... I think it reinvigorates you as a photographer because it does make you think, okay, where can I stand for this race? What can I do, um, you know, that's different? So I think it does challenge you and then maybe you come back, you know, to, to town and then you are already automatically reinvigorated and 
think of, you know, different ways to shoot the races. So then that racetrack that you've done a million times becomes, you know, you're looking at it with fresh eyes. You've um, been to a lot of the biggest race meetings across the world, a lot of uh, big races in the US, but I noticed that your Birdsville work um, has featured on CNN, and this is going to get Matt's ears pricked, Sports Illustrated as well. Well, it's an interesting story about Sports Illustrated. Um, to cut a long story short... The, the was... 16-year-old work experience boys also showing some interest now, Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> So I was in America um, photographing American Pharaoh in 2015 and I was doing um, a sports photography workshop in Colorado and they had lots of, uh, you know, people that critiqued our work and it was highly educational and I I learned a lot from it. But I met um, the picture editor from Sports Illustrated who was in New York and she thought my work was, I guess, interesting enough to invite me into their office to, to have a chat about maybe, you know, something I could do for them down the track. I'd heard of Birdsville, but I'd never been to Birdsville, but I thought this could be just the thing that Sports Illustrated, you know, would be interested in. So I pitched the idea um, in the New York office um, to go to Birdsville and cover the event for them. And... They wow. hadn't heard of it, obviously, and they loved the idea. And so I went to Birdsville covering for Sports Illustrated my first year. I'd probably rather see horses and Birdsville on Sports Illustrated than girls in bikinis. Well, what honest. about a compromise of Elle McPherson <laughs> at the Fred Brophy Boxing Troupe? Uh, how would that go, Sharon, with Elle McPherson? What's your What's your Mona Lisa? What's your one? Is there one? I know there's Bannerstrand, which was so famous, but. Is there one you look at and go, oh, Sharon, you genius, this is perfect? <laughs> well, I try and be a little bit more humble than that. But, um, <laughs> probably my photo of Winks um, after her third Cox Plate where I decided to brave the, the cold waters of Altona and venture very, very deep into the water because I did have a vision that I wanted um, Winks in the water but with the city skyline behind her and the only way to do that was to be on the other side of you know where she was walking which involved me tracing out over a number of sandbanks which each time got a little bit deeper drop off on the other side and it got to the point that it was sort of you know up to my chest now for people that don't know me I'm very vertically challenged I'm five foot one um so you know, a normal height person, it probably would have been okay, but I was sort of on tippy toes and I was relying on Winks doing one more lap. And she did thank you, Ben Cadden, for doing one more lap. And I had that moment where she walked past on... She was sort of on a, a bit of a sandbank, even though she was in the water, it was quite shallow. And she had this moment where she walked across the water, a little bit of a splash. I was down low, so it gave a really, I guess, unique perspective of shooting up at a horse in the water with the whole city skyline behind her, and I did it in black and white to make it a bit timeless, and um, I guess that's my most proud image because I actually meant to take it, unlike the Banner Strain moment, <laughs> and I put a lot of thought into it beforehand, what I wanted to achieve, and the only downside was I had my car keys in my pocket, which apparently don't like salt water, so I had to uh, get towed nice and four <laughs> kilometres home to get my spare keys so I could start my car. But, but you got the photo, um, so that was the main thing. Exactly right. I got the photo and um, I've been able to donate it a lot of times for various charities, including the Royal Flying Doctors at Birdsville, so it's probably raised about $20,000. So that makes it a little bit more special to me as well. Following on from that one, do you find that many of your photos that you take, you look at it and you think, that's perfect, that's going to be awesome, then it might not get the recognition that you kind of think that it will get? Uh, there was a photo a couple of years ago at um, Batuta, which is the race meeting the week before Virtual. They only get a crowd of probably 300. And 
I tried to do a shot the year before and it hadn't quite worked because I was I tried to do it from the start and it didn't didn't sorry the finish line and it didn't work because there was buildings and everything in in the way but it sort of made me want to go back the next year to try and get this one photo and uh, it's the last race the sun's sort of coming right down and you can get the horses silhouetted because you can sort of you know, put your remote camera under the rail on the turn facing into the sun so you've got to sort of I guess underexpose everything to get the silhouette and I was really excited I ran over and got my camera afterwards and it was probably one of those moments where um, it blew my mind away because I hadn't factored in that the sun would create this illumination around the dust and it was probably I think one of the best pictures I've ever taken. But no one else so, liked it. <laughs> no, I had some other photographers that tell me that I should enter it in the World Photography Awards because it was one of the best images I'd ever seen um, from horse racing. But um, I think I did do that, and I, you know, I wasn't a finalist or anything. But um, I'm still quite proud of that image because it it was sort of a year in the planning, and I pulled it off to a level that. As I said, I wasn't um, anticipating this beautiful illumination of of the dust hitting the horses that, that gave it this kind of surreal sort of image. Is it on your? Um, how do we? I want to have a look at it now. How do we see? Should put it on Twitter, maybe, and tag you guys. Can you tweet it so we can have yeah. a squiz? Yeah. And then yeah. young work experience kid wants a bit more of that Sports Illustrated uh, action as well. <laughs> so, hey, yeah. Sharon. You're a legend, and don't say thank you for saying it. You're a legend, so yeah, good on you. Thanks for coming on, and, and your images yeah, from Birdsville are just incredible. So we look forward to seeing your next uh, your next work. Okay, thanks so much. Sharon uh, is just amazing. I mean, some of those photos they really are amazing, and I'm a bit of a nuffy when it comes to you talk about drawing. I can't draw a straight line, so you do appreciate specific sometimes artwork. You, sometimes you can't walk in a straight line, and and one thing about beauty it's they often say it's in the eye of the beholder but you do and can distinguish something that is better than the rest and uh, the work she does is fantastic speaking of doing fantastic work friend of mine tony rabber um initiated the mail hug organization he's the ceo and founder of it and there's a big promotion for talktober which is through the month of october and tony joins us now to talk about the mail hug and uh, talktober Thanks, Tony, for joining us. Thanks, Dan. Great to be here, buddy. Thank you for having me. Well, this has grown over the last few years, uh, and what's become Talktober, a very big month. You do a lot of promotion around the male hug, but specifically around Talktober. Just explain to our listeners again what it is about. Yeah, Danny, so Talktober is our um, uh, annual uh, raising awareness campaign for the month of October, to get blokes, to get men talking and, and to encourage men to reach out, connect with their friends, their family, their colleagues. Uh, and this year we're doing something a little bit different. Um, we're, we're asking men to tick off eight uh, with their mates. So basically uh, do some activities with your friends, uh, play around a golf, have a coffee, go to the pub for a drink, um, go to the footy, do something fun and have a chat about, you know, whatever it is that's going on in your life that uh, you don't normally discuss. Do you find, Tony, that you have made inroads? Do you find that you have men talking more after all the hard work that you've done and raising awareness? I, I think we do. I, I really I really believe that we have. It, 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 it's trying to normalise the the concept of talking about what's really going on in your life that you don't normally discuss, and it might eat away at you. So, but I know I receive a lot of private messages uh, from people, uh, you know, colleagues and so forth, that, that encourage the work that we're doing. Um, we, we've still got a long way to go because men are still very reluctant uh, to talk openly and, and in, a, in a vulnerable fashion. But I reckon, I reckon our campaigns, our events, uh, the things that we're doing through our social media promotions, um, the team does an enormous amount of work and, and fantastic work, and um, it, it's making an impact. And it's, it's, it's only going to grow and become, you know, bigger. And, and as I said, what we're trying to do is encourage men to talk, uh, connect, reach out, and, and, and in, in turn have a better quality of life. 
What about boys, Matt? I got young kids the same age as you. Like I, our generation is probably, and this is what this is all about: is trying to sort of dismantle a lot of those hindrances to us sort of engaging in the way that uh, is being encouraged. What you and your mates? Uh, can you get shoulders to lean on when you're having a down day and things like that? I think you're fine with a lot of um, teenage boys, especially. There's so most teenage boys. We have a wider group of friends, and within that wider group of friends, you have that smaller circle. And you'll find within that smaller circle, you usually only have about one or two people to actually lean on. And you like people will say like, I'll say with some of my friends, I'll know that say something's going up at home, but um, like they'll put on a face and they'll make sure people know like, oh no, I'm fine, bro, blah blah blah. So it's and still, only it's you, still, there's a small group that only you can see. Exactly, yeah, exactly. and there's that yeah. that same small group. Say with me, I'm not say I'm not definitely not comfortable with really showing all of my feelings to other people I might not be as close with. And I think that's like kind of a universal thing across all teenage boys. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that um, Matt having like the male hug, and I've just got the website up now. It's not imposing. It's quite um, you know you look at it and it's informative and there's avenues. Do you, do you think that maybe having a third party is something that is better for young men or men in general? That maybe your friends you don't want to burden them with your problems, but having someone anonymous that you can just ring up is that something that you think you would ever? want to use if you're in that situation? I think something like that is so good, like a third party, because there's not a connection that could be broke by yeah. someone hearing that. Because like, what you could be worried about, oh, what if they think I'm a blah, blah, blah. But these guys, they're here to simply help you. That's that's all they're there to do. They're not here to judge you on whatever's happening. They're there to help. And I think like that's what's so beneficial for young kids. Mm. So, t- Tony, that's uh, the, the mindset of uh, Matt, who's a 16-year-old intern here at, at RSN. But that must resonate with you when you hear that sort of feedback because it, it does replicate how we are later on in life and um, perhaps having that person to talk to that you don't, necessarily know so well but are, are professional enough but can also engage um, is probably for a lot of people the best way to do it yeah absolutely Dan I, I, what, what Matt was talking about obviously we were all 16 once and uh, we, you know, you'd have a larger circle of friends and you don't you'd only really engage with maybe one or two about your, your deepest and most vulnerable feelings but we, we've got a 1-800 buddy line that uh, people can call. We've got a roster of very dedicated buddies uh, who man the phones and, and, and speak to people that reach out. But, yeah, it, it's a lot easier for someone to pick up a phone, uh, call a complete stranger. And all of our buddies recently received their mental health uh, first aid training certificate. So, and they're very passionate. Uh, they get monthly uh, training uh, through our head buddy, uh, you know, Matt Newlands. And, look, at the end of the day, uh, yeah, I reckon it's much easier to reach out speak to someone who's an absolute stranger uh, about what's going on in your life. And we, we know that just getting it off your chest is the most important thing you can do. Let it out of your system, share it with somebody. Um, it, it, it'll do so much, you know, so much good things for, for you moving forward. And uh, you've got many ambassadors uh, for the male hug. You don't have any trouble getting them. I'm one of them, proudly to say, but you've got a, a quite a team that are uh, intrinsically involved and do a lot more work than my involvement uh, for the male hug. But um, Talktober is the big month, and a lot of your ambassadors are out there promoting, you'll see through social media, various forums, about uh, talking to eight friends through the month of October and, and catching up with them, engaging, which is the most important part. But you might want to just remind us about uh, how we can find out more, what the website is, and even some of those names, uh, Kevin Sheedy, I've seen Matthew Richardson, Clint Hutchison. Um, there's uh, a number of people that are involved donating their time for a worthy cause. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. And once again, thank you, mate, for being a wonderful friend and a wonderful Talktober ambassador for the Male Hug. And as you mentioned, Kevin Sheedy, Matthew Richardson, uh, David Hodgett, who's a local member of Parliament, uh, Tim Manor, Professor Pat McGorry, um, who's an amazing human being, does amazing work in, in the in the area of mental health. Uh, uh, Lavinia Nixon, Peter Hitchener, um, and, and 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 others. We've got some wonderful names this year. You know, doing the Talkover videos, taking the Talkover challenge, and uh, there'll be a media campaign that's going to uh, air very very shortly. And um, it's very exciting, and we we want to raise as much awareness as possible, and um, you know, try and raise some funds for the organisation, and, and and just really get men. And, and, and people in general, families behind it. And the website again, Tony? 
Yes, that's the w, uh, so it's the mailhug.com.au, but uh, specifically uh, talktober.com.au. Uh, our registration page will open shortly, uh, within the next week or so, and uh, our, our very diligent and, and hard-working team are working frantically on that. Wayne Fasala, uh, Tony Shubecki, and um, so it's look, it's very exciting, Dan. And, and as you know, we, we we're all very passionate about this, and um, and it's, it doesn't have to be a, a serious topic. It can be, you know, a lot of fun as well. So we want to try and promote the fun, fun element and hence uh, kick off eight with your mates uh, is a fun thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. And con- uh, congratulations on the great work you do, Tony. Um, and uh, may it be as uh, successful at Talktober uh, as, as we've had. And thanks for joining us on Cracking the Codes this morning. Thank you, Danny. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your support, Dan. I really appreciate it. Loving their racing, pacing and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Malicki and Simone Fisher. Cracking the codes. Guys, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, Glash and I go back a long way. A long, long way. Family friend. Uh, baptised my kids under Were unusual circumstances. Yeah. Matthew Julian Stewart. Julian, that's a nice name. It is. You yeah. said that with a smirk on your face. No, it is. I genuinely like what's the name middle, Julian. What's your middle? What's your... Uh, what do you call it? Uh, the middle name? Middle name, Nicole. Yeah. Nicole. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. So, anyway, father, the legendary so no confirmation. No, you didn't uh, yeah. take the saint's name, did you? Or? No, I think I did. I think there was another one in between that I, oh. I um, it was too long on my business card, so I had to remove it. <laughs> so, Father Glasheen and I <laughs> go back a long way, <laughs> right. Surgery, as like, I've established. And one of the things, as I said in the intro, was the Gamalite popular arm um, discussion that we you had. You love this, don't you? Spirited heard discussion this many, in the car. Times. On the way to see Jasmarilla and Great Ambition get beaten by Murnyong Way in the Oaks, I think, at the Valley in about 84. So the Gamalite free for on the night. And the biggest fan I've ever known of Gamalite is Father Brian Glasheen. And to commemorate the running of the race today, we thought we'd get his biggest fan on. Uh, to uh, to honour Gamalite and to talk about Triple Eight and all sorts of other things, mostly including the weird Stewart family from Bacchus Marsh. How are you, Glash? I'm very well, Matt. Uh, now, listen, I'm not sure that I'm the biggest fan. Uh, all the people in Tarang mm. claim to be the biggest fan of Gamalite and a few priests, Father Peter Hudson. <laughs> Well, he did have a he had he had God on his side, Gamalite, more than Popular Arm, and that's why I thought Popular Arm was the better horse and the and the scoreboard. I think it was about twenty to one. But uh, how many did you ever um, do anything? Um, did you ever wave the the smoke over Popular Arm and say a prayer for him? It was only reserved for Gamalite. Oh, probably, probably because I was pretty close to Vinny too. But uh, um, I started with Gamalite uh, as a, uh, a recovering. Uh, operation, I'd had a knee operation or a hip operation, and I was down at Leo's recovering, and he said, you better get on this horse, uh, you drive so he lifted me into the cart, and he said, he take the whip and I said, what do I want to take the whip for? And he said, oh, you're shy down the bat I said, what, what's there? And he said, there's nothing but, and I said, is he shy in or out? And he said, sometimes in some, but put the stick on him and, and keep it. any rate, I come home to Dad and I said, Leo's got uh, uh, half-brother to uh, Alphalite, and I said, he's as lazy as thin. I had to tap him up. Um, his bike's all Hanover, and he's got no or no action. I said, it, it'd be better than Alphalite. And Dad said to me, you've got rocks in your head. Leo's had his good horse. He's not <laughs> going to get another one. <laughs> That's amazing. So you drove Gamalite. Effectively, if you want to come out of retirement, they were looking for a driver for Lock and Varart tonight. So are you available? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. No worries. <laughs> Well, if you ended up five back the fence, only Gavin Lang and God could get out of five back the fence, so you might have been a chance. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I'd be in trouble. I'd have to go through 20 trials or some damn thing now, which is uh, ridiculous. But I did have a driver's licence when I was 16, so uh, uh, that was back in ooh, 1954. But it's only 70 years ago. <laughs> oh, gee, what, you were three? Amazing. You no, did, no, you... I was 16. <laughs> Father, we might just set the scene with Gamalite. Obviously, the free-for-all tonight, it's a ripper race with copy that, Lock and Varad's involved, and, uh, and and also Bondi Lockdown. Gamalite retired winning 94 races, over one, almost 1. $1.4 million. but just some of the races he won. Remember, as a two-year-old, he won the Victorian Tatlow, and there weren't as many big races and Group 1 races around then, um, but he also won the South Australian Derby in 1980, and he beat Popular Arm. It was the first time they ever met. 
Um, he won a Queensland Pacing Chip Championship, a Hunter Cup, an Auckland Trotting Cup, a WA Cup, two Inter Dominions. Uh, he won a Cranbourne Cup. He won a Fremantle Cup. So there was nothing that would stop him. Three times Australasian Pacers Grand Circuit Champion, twice a Horse of the Year. And he won the South Australian Cup. He won it an amazing, this is a group one race, he won it four times. Here comes Gamalite. Gamalite grabs the Rattler. 400 to go. The Rattler on the inside and Gamalite followed by Atani. Carlite is going well within herself. She can't get out. The Rattler fights back. He's holding Gamalite on the top of the circle. It's the Rattler coming to the 220. About to straighten. Gamalite is there grinding. He's a grand old horse. He's tough and he's sticking it on the Rattler. In the straight, it's Gamalite. He's going for the magic four. He's after it. I reckon he might get it. Wanda's mate is flying, but it's Gamalite in front. Wanda's mate is coming quickly. It's tight. Give it to Gamalite. Give him four Winfield Cups in succession. A great grand tough old horse. I reckon he's just... He got it all right. He won it by a pimple. Ron Paps calling there, but uh, some of his best wins were in Adelaide. As I mentioned, that SA Derby. And Father, this is going to start up that big debate with you and Matthew again. He might be excommunicated again shortly, but... um, in South Australia, the first meeting um, that they ever had, and Gamalite won it. So he got the first jab in, and it was the standing eight count. Poppy got knocked over, and that was the SA Derby. And, um, of course, in one of his Inner Dominion wins, Gamalite was able to beat Popular Arm in New Zealand. But the score overall was way in favour of Poppy. It was. Uh, the strange thing about uh, Gamalite won most of his races sitting in the death seat. The only race I can remember he ever had a sit in his life was the Auckland Inter Dominion when he come out of two and immediately got on a popular arm's back. And, and when Bruce Clark pulled him out at about three furlongs from home and he put his head up to Vinnie Knight's shoulder and Vinnie looked and saw it, Vinnie took off and he took off at the speed of a galloper. Like he, he just absolutely flew down the back at Auckland. And um, we talked about tactics beforehand and I said don't leave the rail he's going to go up the rail he's lugged off off the fence every time but uh, Bruce couldn't couldn't wait he went on the outside and uh, he finished up about uh, uh, six or seven wide because uh, popular arm run him up the track but uh, it, it, that was the only race I can remember where he had a sit every other race he won from the death seat. and when he won that um, a two-year-old race at uh, Tatlow, I think it was uh, what uh, Tatlow there at uh, Mooney Valley. He sat outside uh, Binskin's horse, or, or just wasn't just uh, Brian Hancock ended up with it later on. But in right, they went head for head from the three furlongs post all the way, and the crowd were unbelievable. And, and Bruce had to stick on him most of the way, and he won by a short half head. Uh, it was absolutely. Fantastic. Now, um, when Dan read out the list of major wins that Gamalite had, it rekindled my memory of why it was that you were so staunchly in Gamalite's corner over Popular Arm, and that was the two Inter-Dominion wins. Gamalite had not one but two, and Poppy had none, and that <laughs> always weighed heavily with you when you when, when we debated these two horses. Oh, yeah, well, uh, I, I was very friendly with Leo and Maureen and all their kids, uh, uh, Chris has still got a horse or two, and Frank, uh, I'm not sure whether he's still on the farm or whether he sold the farm, but uh, um, had a lot to do with them. But had a bit to do with uh, Vinny too. I remember when Vinny was selling his. Um, uh, there was a Bob Kane bought out a book on the Kilmore Cup, and uh, Bob said to me, uh, "I mean, uh, yeah." Bob said to me, "Listen, on the way out, when the crowd's leaving." You take a bundle of these books and see if you can you know, sell it. And right, Vinny come along and he said, oh, God, he's even got God working for him now. <laughs> Did it work? Because Bob well, came, uh, Bob, Bob and Judy were Bob legends. and Bob... a lot of books. Yeah, good. Oh, that's great. That's great. Hey, how's, speaking of things that rhyme, that's great. How's Triple Eight? <laughs> oh, well, he, he, he came back from um, Queensland. He, he only got a, two weeks in the paddy. He's back in work, so he... he, he like he retained a fair bit of his residual fitness and he'll be ready for the smoking up free for all the week before the uh, Victoria Cup. So uh, uh, he'll be spot on. The uh, You mentioned the Kilmore Cup before, or Kilmore and the legends of Kilmore. Um, Kilmore Cup is uh, coming up next week. 
father, and you would have remembered it at its at its peak, at its height. The Kilmore Cup, it was as Popular big a race. Won that one day, father. Twice. By the way, twice. But where it is now, I mean, what are your thoughts about the Kilmore Cup today and where it used to be thirty, forty years ago? Well, thirty or forty years ago, it was almost like the Melbourne Cup. Like it, 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 every trotting person went and they had marquees and, and uh, it was like a public holiday. I don't know whether it was a public. I don't think it was. but oh, In it was, Kilmore it was. Uh, at least yeah, a half day, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, it, it was just the place to be and there was magic crowds there and and uh, they, they'd be drink, drinking in their marquees even after the last race. And uh, it, it was really big time that uh, it's low-key today compared to then, but it, it was real big. Well, I have been to the Kilmore Cup a few years ago, and I'm heading there next Friday night too. Yes. Are you calling, well, Dan? I'll be calling. Yeah, I'll be heading there because they've you got the pony to be hanging out a fair bit at the, these days. So, um, I'm, I'm closer to heaven than some <laughs> owners on race night. You've though. met Darren, haven't you? I wouldn't, yeah, just... <laughs> he he won't be there. I've got to take my daughter's doing pony trots, um, Father Brian, so we'll I'll, we'll be at Kilmore. I won't be there all night. Um, but... There's been a lot of... A lot of uh, Keen kids who pony trots and they developed into drivers. I can't, I can't think who they are, but there's probably, I don't know whether Nathan Jack, uh, Josh pony trots, but a, a lot of a lot of kids that have graduated to be great drivers have started in the pony trots. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to to heading up there next week. Um, there's only one here. word of advice when anyone goes to Kilmer and they haven't been there it's before: no, don't bring a coat, bring three or four coats or seven. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, it's not as cold as Kiton. I supplied a Kiton recently, and it was still ten degrees at twelve o'clock, and the, the wind was bitter. Is the Red Lion still the go-to pub after oh, the Kilmore Cup? No, I think I think so. Yeah, we've got a youngster here who lives in Kilmore. No, Flash. So what's the what's Ma- the rundown? Max, Max Pub has taken over. Well, Obviously. how would you know? You're sixteen. You're not allowed to drink. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I just studied. I think, I think he's just walked it down a dangerous path here, Glass, young Matt here. Um, so Triple Eight, um, when when do we get to see him light up the track again? A week before oh, the big cup, uh, right? Hopefully, he'll be in the smoking up free for all, which is a week before the Victoria Cup, and that's only about three weeks away. I think, I think maybe less. You want to be you want to be fit for that, but all the good horses at the moment. You know, tonight we'll get a better idea to see if copy that a Lock and Varart can come back. But there's question marks on a lot of them. It's the four-year-olds like Rock and Roll do that are coming through. So there's a spot for you. There's a big one there for you. Uh, he'll be there. He'll be there. And and the way Greg drives him, he's such a patient driver and such a wonderful driver. Uh, it, well, he's been in the last three Inter Dominion Grand Finals. He's been in the last three Hunter Cups, and and that's partly because Greg never kills him. He, he, he looks after him, you know, and and he's an older horse and uh, he's seven, I think he's about to turn eight, but he's still racing the best he's ever raced. Got any Rutherglen Jurifs in the cabinet at the moment? Rutherglen? Uh, oh, no. no. <laughs> it's a bit of an in-joke. Yeah. It wasn't a bribe. It was just an, uh, an add-on. When I got my kids baptised by Father Glash when they were probably older than most kids while I was trying to get him into St. Bede's and uh, got him down to Glash and uh, he mentioned yep so you had an ulterior motive no 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 that'll be no problem at all but he he just breezily mentioned in the same breath that I I am a bit fond of the Jura from Rutherglen so (laughs) to get it over the line I got him too Ah, sounds like there could be an inquiry involved a retrospective inquiry a bit like the Truer Memorial (laughs) (laughs) the labourer is entitled to his hire He's entitled to be paid. Exactly right, exactly right. All right, well, we better brush one off and head down to Dave's farm and uh, knock one over over a barbie or something in, uh, in, over the springtime, eh? Yep, no worries. That'll be fantastic. Uh, uh, it was great. Great. Father, uh, thanks for, for joining us. Matthew brings this up all the time, the Gamalite popular arm, and I must admit, and always the truer, and brings the, truer the smile to his face when he talks about uh, having virtually an argument with a man of God, and he somehow gets some personal satisfaction of reminding us that he, he challenged God in a way, but he never, never tells us 
what the final score was. Was it like 1-0 in favour of God? No. What was the go? No, I think we're to draw. If I walk down the street any time in the next few years and get struck by a bolt of lightning on a sunny day, I'll know that Glash came out on top. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, Matt, you had an initial win. I, I said there'd be a protest and that Master Musician would get it for, from um, Brian Gass' drive. And at uh, uh, any, any rate, um, the protest uh, was dismissed. But However, yes. 12 months later, <laughs> uh, the judges or jury or <laughs> those in authority upheld the, the protest and... Uh, and uh, a master musician got the money. Yeah, and what was described as an act of God. <laughs> it lasted for a number of years. Franco Tiger was uh, the other horse that was in, yeah, in yeah. there, trained by Glenn Tippett, who was the uncle of which famous jockey? Is Ooh. it Blake? Blake Shin. Yeah. Oh, Blake Shin, yes, yes. Uh, actually, Blake Shin was close to death when he was uh, um, only a baby, and... Uh, member of the Shin family because uh, uh, um, it, it, it was Gerald Shin's son uh, as well as the Tippet and uh, they asked me to go into the children's hospital and I anointed him and prayed for his recovery and uh, that's Blake Shin. Wow, that's, what was the do you recall, was it like colic or something? Or? Oh no, no it, it was oh, I, I, I'm not quite not sure but they didn't expect him to live that they thought thought he would die, but he was only a baby. Like I, I think he was, I think he was premature. I, I, uh, but uh, I just can't remember the full detail. Oh, that's but I, I, I certainly yeah. was called in by the Shins, and uh, because uh, and Gerald Gerald was there. I remember at the hospital, and he was a mess. He was crying his eyes out because he expected him to die, you know, but he didn't. Wow, what a fascinating, uh, what a fascinating yarn to, to to end the interview on, and certainly um, next time we have a chat to Blake, we'll ask him about uh, yeah. a story that he would only he, have been he, told about too, wouldn't he? Mm. Yeah, yeah, he wouldn't remember it, but Raylene, Raylene, uh, Raylene Shinwood, she, she was Frank Shin's sister at Kilmore, and um, uh, Raylene was probably the one that got me to go in there. I just forget now. Yeah, but, there you go. Yeah. What a fascinating little story. Hey. Uh, Glash, always a pleasure. You're a legend. Uh, look forward to brushing off a juraf. And we might have invited this crew down as well. Do you think we could have a garden party with this mob? No worries. Well, Dan's Italian, so he, he, he's, been, he's been bred to drink good wine. Well, he drinks a lot of wine. I don't know whether it's in his pedigree or not, but it's certainly a habit of his. Uh, yeah, it's more the vodka from the Polish side. But anyway, uh, I'm about one fourteenth uh, Italian, but about fifty percent Polish. But I'll take you up and on 20% that offer. Donut. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's hope that Maletti keeps winning. Yeah, that's exactly right. May he put his best hoof forward. Good on you, Brian. <laughs> Thanks, Father. Thank Great to talk much. to you as always. Good, Dan. Good, Simone. Thank you, Matt. Father Brian, if ever you're going to be in your 80s, you'd like to be like him, wouldn't you? That you are up to speed with everything, your recollection and your memory, and you can hold a conversation. And he's just, isn't he just so upbeat? What a, a fantastic oh, man. He he really, really Wonderful is. ambassador yeah. for harness racing. His horse is called Triple Eight. Imagine if it was called Triple Six. <laughs> Number of the beast. No, I don't know. I thought you were going to um, say Triple Zero. And well, I thought, so, oh, we so if, that. if we both get struck by lightning, you'll know that you'll get, yeah. you'll get it for that. <laughs> we'll be walking hand in hand. And, and I'll do it for, for that... Bloody true memorial. I should never have even piped up about it. I, um, good on you guys. It's been a great show. Um, Dan, looking forward to uh, reconnecting with you from 10 to 12 to, to promote this terrific uh, Group one Sir day. Rupert Clark Stakes Day. Simone, we'll look forward to seeing you next, next week. Next week. And you go and do some homework. Yeah, great job, Matt. <laughs>